Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Amen. Well, we are excited today to begin a brand new series that we are calling The Christmas Story. The Christmas Story. You can tell a lot about somebody by what Christmas movie is their favorite. Let's just be candid, right? And really, it comes down to two of them. Not trading places. It might come down to three to you, but it comes down to to me to two. Number one, it's either National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or The Christmas Story. Okay, let's, let's try this. Before we do, I want to welcome those joining us, on, joining us online today. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for church today. Lifehouse family, can we give it up for all those joining us online today? Wherever you're watching from, we love you. We're so glad you're here. Make sure you say hi in the chat section. But even online, would you let us know what your favorite Christmas movie is or which one you like better, National Lampoon's or The Christmas Story? So we're going to do a little experiment in here. If you like National Lampoon's Christmas Story better than The Christmas Story, make some noise. Oh, man. How many of you like the Christmas story more than you like National Lampoons? Okay, we have a National Lampoons church. Lord, where, what has happened to your people? Because Christmas story is the greatest Christmas movie ever created. My, but you know what? It's funny because we're a home divided. My wife loves National Lampoons. I love the Christmas story. I grew up on the 24-hour marathon on TBS. Anyone else here? Right? I mean, it was 24 hours of Christmas story over, over, over. And that's kind of where we got the theme for this, the Christmas story, even in the graphic marketing stuff, is we took the Christmas story. But this is beyond just knowing what happened in the Christmas story. Because if we're all honest, all of us know conceptually what happened in the Christmas story. And But what can happen because of what our culture has done a great job of, because what our culture is amazing at, is getting off the real purpose of why something happens and putting it on consumerism. Can anyone else just struggle with this? Like, and, I, and, I, and I wrestle because I'm like, am I a Grinch? Or do I just not like consumerism? Walked into Walmart yesterday and just Walmart is trees and it's like the most jolly time of the season. I see people walking around ticked off, stressed. Anxious, rushing, bustling, not a lot of joy going on, right? So it's, it's like we can conceptually know what this season is about, what happened during the Christmas story, the Christmas season, but what happens is in the midst of everything going on, its meaning can get lost. Its purpose can get lost. It can get buried under all of the other things that our culture and world, and especially the United States, has made it so, I, 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 so basically this Christmas season, I want to try to give you a fresh perspective. I want to help bring the wonder back to Christmas. I want to help you see the purpose, the meaning of this Christmas season amidst and amongst all of the other stuff going on. And I just pray that as we dive into this series, that you would not just coming out knowing what happened during the Christmas story because you already know that, but you would have a renewed wonder about the Christmas season. So we're going to look in the next three weeks, this Sunday, next Sunday, and December 18th, and we're going to look at three specific things with the Christmas story. Today, we're going to look at the context of Christmas, 
Second week, we're going to look at the characters of Christmas. And the third week, we're going to look at the concepts of Christmas. Today, though, the goal is to put Christmas in its proper context. This word context is so key. Context, according to dictionary.com, simply means this. The parts of a written or spoken statement that precede or follow a specific word or passage, usually influencing its meaning or effect. Another definition is the set of circumstances or facts that surround, everyone say surround, that surround a particular event or situation. Here is some commentary on that. Context provides meaning, everyone say meaning, meaning and clarity, everyone say clarity, to the intended message. Context is critical because it tells you, the receiver, what importance to place on something, what assumptions to draw or not about what is being communicated. And most importantly, it puts meaning into the message. And that's what I want to do today. I want to try to put meaning through looking at the context of Christmas so you can again see the wonder. Context is so important for any part of life. We live not in a context culture. We live in a clip culture where somebody will take 10 seconds from somebody's speech, post it online, and we will end up deriving and judging everything about that speech and that person by a 10-second clip instead of the hour that it was spoken in. Our culture is not curating us and shaping and forming us to be people of context. It wants us to be people of clips, where we see a piece and then we judge by that piece. Context requires maturity. Context requires self-awareness. Context requires you to actually be able to do this word nuance that our world, that our world struggles with. Where we can take some, because y'all just, just think about how powerful this is when it comes to marriage. Can I just talk a little bit about my marriage? Is my wife in here? She's not. Okay, great. Is this on podcast? She doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so she's not going to hear it. But <laughs> you're in a relationship, you're going throughout your day, you come home, and your wife says something to you that seems a little bit harsh, a little bit insensitive. And, and so what you struggle with in the moment is what you just heard. And so you receive it as, she hates me, she doesn't like me, she doesn't want to be around me. You derive a meaning from a three-second phrase that then influences the way you see her, influences the way you feel in that particular moment. But what we have the opportunity to do is to take that three-second statement and put it in what? Context. Context means what is surrounding, what is before and behind. So you have the opportunity to say, I can take this three-second clip and define her and how she sees me and how she views me as, and, and I'm going to react based on that three seconds, or can I put into context the fact of she's been home with the kids all day, she's worked a full-time job all day, she's coming home, but now she's thinking about dinner, and she has some situations happen at, at work that have deeply influenced her, and she feels a, a whole lot, and just the way she's wired, maybe there can be some issues. Are y'all seeing how it's important not to just view a clip, but to step back and maybe put things in 
perspective is a, is a good word, but put things in our word today, which is context. Putting it in context. And then that will help you actually hear what she's trying to say. Think about it, Think of how this will influence relationships in church. Because one of the reasons why people have problems relationally in churches, we struggle with nuance and context. Where people will take one thing that somebody said and define them by it, but not even take into account the various variables that were surrounding when that little, when that little interaction took place. We don't have the maturity to step back and get context and understand nuance. And instead of inferring they don't like me, maybe stepping back and saying, let me look at what surrounded what they said so I could get a proper context. The reason why there can be so much bickering in the church is because of context. You know how, you know, the reason why people's come up with dumb stuff from this book. Lack of context. They take a verse to not look and say, what did the author originally intend? They take a verse and make it say what they want it to say. And then they make up new denominations. Then they, then they make up new religions. They make up new cults. They, 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 they don't say, what did the original author intend to say? They say, ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to make it say what I wanted to say. What are you doing? You're not putting the scripture into its proper context. Context is important, y'all. Many of you remember this speech. You remember this? August 28, 1963. Martin Luther King stood on the steps, Lincoln Memorial. I have a dream. One day we'll see black men and white men worshiping together. Black children, white children holding hands. If you take somebody that does not have context for what our country has been and was, and even still struggle with it today, if you just brought somebody in that did not have a context for our country and the history in our country, and you just brought them in and, and just said, listen to this speech, how does it affect you? Do you know what they would probably say? Great oration. Man, Martin Luther King, he had an amazing gift of communication. Do you know what they would completely miss in this speech? The power of it. Why? Because if they don't have context, they won't understand the power and meaning of his words. This is how powerful context is. This is how powerful it, this is how important it is that when it comes to Christmas, we have to make sure we understand the context that surrounded Christmas. Because if we don't understand the context that surrounded Christmas, we won't get the power of what Christmas was and what Christmas meant. And that is the heart of what I want to get to you today. Because here's the truth. Context brings clarity. If you have your 3D glasses, would you go ahead and, and get those out? This is a cheesy, corny illustration the pastors sometimes pull out to make a point. When you go to a 3D movie, you don't have glasses on, what happens? It's not clear. 
You can see colors. You can see a little bit of the outlaying of what's going on. But in order to see it clearly, succinctly, and actually get the meaning, you have to take your glasses on. You have to take your glasses on. And I bent mine right at the eye. That was not the goal. Okay. You have to put your, now here's the cheesiest phrase you're going to hear from me in my life. You don't need contact, you don't need contact lenses. You need context lenses. <laughs> Come on, somebody. If you've ever heard a preacher phrase, that's a preacher phrase. You don't need contact lenses. Paul, you need context lenses. <laughs> It's hilarious, but how true is it? Y'all, my prayer is that we would be a church that isn't a clip church. We're a context church. We have the ability, the maturity to step back in light of what someone says and get the context. Instead of immediately attacking, we step back and we say, let me gain understanding. Let me get the context. Why? So we can get clarity. Because here's the thing, y'all. Context, in, context influences your interpretation. Context is important because it affects how you interpret anything. If you don't get the context right, you'll get the interpretation wrong. And this could be the Bible, this could be relationships, this could be messages. So let's dive in today. I got to take these off because when I put glasses, like, I don't know what I'll say with these things on. So let's get them things off. But here's, here's, here's the thing. Dive into the context. So what was the context of Christmas that made Christmas so important? So what surrounded Christmas that brings out, that we can look at, and deem and say what makes this beautiful Christmas message fresh again. The first context is this. Humanity was separated from God. The very beginning of the Bible begins with relationship. The end of the Bible ends with man being in relationship with God. The beginning of the Bible is God created. He's the creator who, had, who, who created man and gave the created man creation to rule over. God's goal and idea was relationship, but we see that what broke the relationship was man disobeying, was man and woman saying, we don't want what God wants, we don't want what we think God is best, we're going to go and we're going to choose what we want and what we think is best. And what happened as a byproduct of man rebelling and choosing what they wanted to instead of what God's best is, is it brought a separation in relationship. But it's crazy, even in their separation, even in their choice. Did you know the first prophecy about Jesus coming is found in the third chapter of the Bible? Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. This, this is called Proto-Evangelion, meaning the first message of the good news. Where you can see, and this is when God is divvying out consequences. But even in his consequences, he says, I'm going to give you some hope. He's, and what, what here, he's talking to the devil. He says, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, you'll wound his heel. Essentially saying, and if you've seen the, 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 
the Passion movie, what you see is that the first scene is Jesus is there battling Satan. A snake comes out from Satan, and then you see Jesus before the, the, before the movie continues on, you've got Jesus taking his heel and stomping the snake's head. Essentially saying, I came to fulfill the prophecy that was first given in the book of Genesis about somebody coming to restore relationship with God. Paul expounds on this Romans in Romans chapter 5. This is what it says. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Jump into verse number 16. It says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. It says, for the sin of the one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace in his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right what? relationship with God and new life for everyone. When Jesus came to the world, there was separation. God put in place laws for his people to follow, and they somewhat did that. He, he put in place ways for them to possibly communicate and commune, but there wasn't that relationship like there was in the garden. And Jesus ultimately came not just to be a get-out-of-hell-free card, not just to be a genie you rub the right way to give you what you want. The best thing Jesus came to do was to come and be a bridge for you to get back in relationship with God. Because you see, on both sides of the Bible, are in, are at the beginning and when all things come to an and the common theme is relationship with God. And Jesus literally became the bridge to get back into relationship with God. If you want to know the meaning and power of Christmas, look at the context that before Jesus, you were away from God. And I wonder how, how much we take for granted being in relationship with Jesus. It's so easy to do. But what I hope is that as you get in the wonder of Christmas, that you will see a context was you were separated, but because Jesus came, you've got a bridge to him. Maybe today you've never walked across that bridge. Maybe you are still, as Paul would say, as, as God would say, in your sin. And you're still in your rebellion. And what I would encourage you today is to walk across the bridge, man. Walk across the bridge, and instead of just being in relationship with yourself and what you want, walk across the bridge and get in relationship with the God who created you, knows you, loves you, wants the best for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. The, the second context we see that surrounded Christmas, though, is this. Israel was under Roman oppression. I never understood, to be honest with you, how political the time of Jesus was. Never understood that. I completely missed that from, like, Bible school. Until maybe recently, the past three or four years, you see how politically charged the environment was when Jesus came on the scene. Even a small example of that is in the Christmas story, Herod did what? 
He killed all the babies two and below. Luke chapter 2. Why did he do that? That was a political move. Because he had heard there's a king being born? I'm King Herod. Ain't no more kings going to be born under my dominion. So if I can't find one, let's kill them all. It was a political move. Politics was so staunch in Jesus' day, right in the middle of, of God's people, Israel, being in the middle of Roman oppression when, they, when all, of their, all of their literature, the Old Testament, it was like, you're going to be my people, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be ruling the world, you're going to be doing all, all these things, you're my people. While they're reading that, they're experiencing oppression. So what did that do to them? It made their hope say when the Messiah comes, when that, when that Messiah figure comes, he's going to ultimately rule as a political figure. And he's going to come and he's going to restore Israel and make Israel great again. That is not a put down on anybody, okay? That is not a political statement. But we're going to restore the greatness of Israel, and it's going to happen because the Messiah is going to come and he's going to kill all these freaking Romans. And we're going to rule and we're going to reign and we're going to be in charge because we're going to have power. And then we're going to enact laws telling people what they can and can't do because that's what really changes people is laws. Sorry, just have to throw that out there. I'm sorry, I got to find my place got to make sure I stay on my guardrails. You know what I'm saying? And because what this did is, is this made the expectation of the Jewish people that the Messiah will look like a conquering king, a military ruler. So this became the expectation because this was their context. This is how they interpreted the Old Testament. So that is why when Jesus came on the scene, and he is not killing the Roman government. He is not calling out to the Roman government saying, you suck, I'm here to tear you down. I'm here to tear you under. You, you, you guys are going under. He didn't come as a political ruler or someone that was going to rule by force. He came and said, love your enemies. They were like, this guy's lost it. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be telling us, love the Roman soldiers, love the Roman government, love the tax collector, love the sinners. This dude is not the Messiah because he is not a ruling king or wanting to rule by force or politics. He came and, like I said, he said things like, love your neighbor as yourself. He made a Samaritan a hero of a story, which you have no idea the ramifications of that. Taking a Samaritan who, who literally, God's people of Israel looked at them as being second-class dogs, said, the good Samaritan. Whew. He called a government employee to be one of his followers. He called a tax collector to be one of his followers. Can you just imagine the insanity of that? He healed Roman soldiers, like, healed the daughter. You shouldn't be healing one of the Roman soldiers' daughters. You even see when Jesus died, rose from the dead, 
Jesus, there's this great story. See, y'all think the Bible's boring. You, you, you better read the Bible more. Luke 24, right? This is after Jesus rose from the dead. So this is a story. It's called Road to Emmaus. There's these two, two guys walking along the road, and it says Jesus appeared to them and basically asked them, how's it, how's it going? They didn't know it was Jesus. They thought he was the gardener. And so they're like, you haven't heard all the things that happened to this Jewish guy? He said, you know, and it's like, it's, 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 you know, Jerusalem's been crazy. And this is what one of them said. They said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to do what? Rescue Israel! He, he was basically saying what every Jew thought we had hoped. Even some of his disciples, like, we had hoped he was going to, like, crush the Romans. This all happened three days ago. And then Jesus goes into a little rebuke session. <laughs> Let's look into this little rebuke session. He says, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus, I love this, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know what Jesus did? He took them through a Bible study. He said, you had the context wrong. You looked at the Messiah coming and only saving your country. But I have come not to save a country. I've come to save humanity. The context was too small. He said, you only wanted to save your nation, but I have come to save all nations. I am not just for one people. I am for all people. And the thing is this, y'all. If we are not careful, Christians will fall into the same trap. Thinking Jesus just wants to save my nation. I love our country, but we have to make sure we don't think we're better than. Because we have in God we trust on our money. And God loves everybody. That, that, that includes our country. Like, I'm not saying, and, but what I am saying is we have to make sure we have the right context. Jesus' context said, no, it's not just for one nation, one people. It's for all people. And if your Christianity is geared just towards winning a political war and trying to win people to Jesus through politics and power, I'm not saying don't vote. Vote. I'm not saying don't have opinions have opinions well i'm not saying don't have values have values all day but just ensure your greatest value is not seeing jesus rule through political power make sure it's first off he rules in your life because what i see christians is they will throw their christianity aside in the name of politics they will call people names they will call, like be absolutely demonic to people and then say, well, this is for country. You got a one allegiance first. That's the kingdom. And the kingdom is saying you're going to be a certain kind of person. One that follows in the way of Jesus. Who says, love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Can you disagree with someone you love? Absolutely. 
I'm not saying don't share your viewpoint. What I am saying, share it lovingly. I'm not saying don't have opinions, don't vote, don't have values. Have those things, but make sure in your priority, Jesus and his kingdom is number one. It trumps. Make sure your politics are first infused with Jesus and his kingdom. Because if you don't do that, then you will sell out to power and politics, thinking this is the way Jesus wants to win the world. Laws have never changed no one. Do laws influence people? You're dang right. Laws influence who gets resources. Laws influence a lot. So politics affect people. So that's why we care about politics. Yes, but at the same time, got to make sure your, pri- your priorities right. Jesus did not win hearts through political power or arguments. He won them. And here's the key thing that I want to get to as people. He won them through sacrificial love. Did y'all know we worship a murdered Savior who rose from the dead, though? But the way he decided to come to earth and win the hearts of people was through sacrificial love. And let me say this, family. In this cultural moment, it's, the, it's going to be the same way. Y'all, we can go out there barking at people and tell them a lot online. We can go out there and yell at people. We can go out there thinking, I can argue people into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless someone is born again, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning, it's a spirit work. There has to be a deep brokenness. That you can use arguments, you know, scripture says, defend the faith, be an apologetic. Like, like yes, at, this, at the same time, you got to know, you got to do your part and let God do his part. Our part is to love. Jesus came and set the example. He sacrificially loved. And if we don't have that mindset in this cultural moment, we will miss out. We will miss it, y'all. I know you have family members that drive you wild. You've got coworkers that drive you crazy. You have people on, so, on social media that you would love to just unleash on. But y'all, let me, let me just remind you. Sacrificial love. How much are you willing to die to win people? Everyone good? Y'all here in my heart today? Because if we miss that the context of Christmas is Jesus came into a politically charged world and didn't win it through politics, he won it through sacrificial love, y'all, we will be tempted to do the same thing. All right, context number three. This could be my quickest sermon ever, so we'll, we'll see how this goes. Context number three. We had a written word, but not a lived word. So the context of Christmas, okay, is in the Old Testament, there, there was a written word that Israel followed. They had the prophets who spoke God's word. They had the Torah, the Pentateuch, who laid out God's, God's kind of commands and what was right and what was wrong. But the thing that makes Christianity unique and the thing that made Jesus and his being Emmanuel, which simply means what? God with us, God here, is the fact that in Jesus, God did not say, just do as I say. Jesus came, and God said, now do as I do. Jesus came as the flesh and blood and physical manifestation of God. 
So now we just don't have a written word. Jesus came and lived the word. He's, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to do what? Fulfill it, live it, show you actually what it means to follow the will of God. It's, in theological terms, it's called the, what's the word called? Incarnation, the incarnation, where God became flesh, incarnate in the flesh. The God came. And do you know when he came in the flesh, what did he come? He, he came near, he came close. This was so different than any other God because there's just gods, just do this, do that. Do it because I say, but God said, no, I'm just not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come close, and I'm going to actually live it. I'm going to become like you and know what it's like to feel, know what it's like to have pain, know what it's like to have people who love you turn their back on you, know what it's like to love someone that doesn't love you back. I'm going to come and experience the full spectrum of human emotion. I love what John says. He says, so the word became human and made his what? home among us. The Message Bible has the best translation of this verse. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And this is what makes Christianity unique to every other religion, y'all. God did not stay in heaven saying, do as I say. God came down and came near and came close, and he says, watch how I do it. He said, you just don't need more commands. You need an example. Isn't it wild in our current cultural moment? You know this and you feel this. We have a lot of content creators telling you what you should be doing. I mean, it is wild. Everyone wants to be a content creator. Someone does something good for like a week. Then like, be like me. You've been working out for two days. And you're over here trying to be a content creator for fitness. You ain't been fit. You've been fitting that pizza all up in your mouth. You've been fitting them tacos. Everyone wants to be a content creator. Which I'm not against content creators, but the reason why people changing isn't because of a lack of content. You can put content out all day. You can put truth out all day. Content can be a source to help people change, but most of the time, content isn't the stuff that's actually changing people. Do you know what changes people? Example. Not that they just hear someone telling them something. They see somebody doing it. You want to know the big reason why I think the church knows a lot but doesn't do a whole lot? Is because we have a lot of people that teach at us but not a lot of people that show us. But do you know how you actually get to see someone doing it? You actually have to be in relationship. And that's what people struggle with, man. Everyone wants to come to a service. He pops up. I'm going to go back and do my thing. And, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. <laughs> no one wants to be in relationship. No one wants an example. And really what people are saying is I don't want accountability. Even Paul mentioned this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
He was talking to this church he planted. And what he told them is this. He said, you have got many instructors in Christ. But do you know what you ain't got? Fathers. He said, you got a lot of people instructing you on what to do, but you ain't got a lot of people showing you what to do. Because a teacher is different than a father. Somebody instructing you in a classroom is different than a father lovingly showing you an example of what to do. And that's what I love is what we see. God did not just say, give you some content. He said, let me come close to give you an example. That is the context of Christmas. I feel like one of the, like my job is hard yet pretty easy. It's hard because I'm a human and I mess everything up. But my job's easy because literally all I need to be is a signpost pointing to Jesus. That's why it's a combination of, you need to read about Jesus, y'all. I mean, honestly, like, don't wait till the new year to start. Just, I'm not just trying to give you what to like, just do, but y'all, turn the television on. Turn YouTube off. Take 50, let's read about Jesus, fam. But through reading it, you're going to get content about Jesus. But then let me tell you this. You need to get close enough and connected enough in a church so you can have an example of someone that's living like Jesus. That didn't get a lot of amens. (laughs) But it's so dang true. It's so dang true. Do you know what Paul even said about himself to the church in Corinth after he said that? Chapter 11. I believe it was, he said, follow me as I follow who? Christ. We need people who are following Christ, fam. And as you're following Christ, you need to be looking back and saying, who can I follow my example? But let's just be honest, there's not a lot of us want someone following our example. So you either are an example or you need an example. And you, and you are right. Just because just I'm, I'm the pastor doesn't mean I don't need a pastor. Pastor needs a pastor. I got a pastor. Because I need a pastor. But really what I need is an example. Someone that's where I want to be in their fatherhood. Someone that's where I want to be as a husband. Someone that's where I want to be as a man. Someone that's where I want to be as a pastor. God did not give you content. He said, I want to come close. Here's the thing. Through Jesus, we see what God's will looks like, what God's will looks like. Some of you are trying to create your own wills. And the reason why you feel so stressed is you're trying to be a creator. When you are created, you can, you can create for sure. But when you try to be the creator of your own life instead of looking to the creator of life, you bear a burden you can't, you can't bear. Everyone in this, in this, okay, not, okay, that's a bad word, everyone. Most people in this generation, they want to find themselves. (laughs) 
Y'all laughing because you know it's true. What I hear when people say, I want to find myself, what I hear is, I need to know who created me. But what we've done is we've thrown the, the creator out, called everybody a, a creator of their own wills. And we wonder why we have people stressed, worried, anxious, comparing, losing joy. It's because you're trying to take on a burden you were never meant to carry. Your job to create yourself is to look up at the creator who made you. And, that, and then Jesus came to be that will. So here, here's why I think this is important. If you view your life through the context of Jesus' life, you might see things differently. Some of you have walked through things, and you're like, God, why? And you've never learned that Jesus walked through some of the same stuff. And so you think you're special, that you shouldn't walk through that. When you forget God, like Jesus, who was God in the form of man, who lived out the will of God, walked through the same thing. And what you've done is you've tried to separate your context from the context of Jesus. But what, but what I want to encourage you today to do is to view your meta story, which is your story. Excuse me. Is, let me just read the slide. I'm going to get it messed up. Bring the slide up. There's his meta story, which is God, Jesus, and then your micro story. Put your micro story in the context of his meta story. Meta means, over, meta means overarching, all. And the reason why some of you, you don't have peace, you don't have joy, is in, in some of the things you've experienced, and some of the things you've experienced have been absolutely traumatizing. I get it, but at the same, same time, if you view it apart from the walk that Jesus walked, then you might think God doesn't like me when actually it's a part of this thing. It's a part of following Jesus. You can come up, Josh. So, family, I've tried hard today to help you see what surrounds Christmas. You were separated. Jesus came into a world full of politics, and really what you ultimately needed was not a God telling you you needed to do something. He wasn't just giving you content. He decided to come close. My prayer is that over these next three weeks, as we continue to look at this Christmas story, that the meaning of it, the power of it, the joy of it would start to well up again in your soul. That you would not be weighed down and consumed with just consumerism and more and more and what this culture has created, but you would actually get a new, what is our word today? that there would be this gratefulness that would well up in you that would say, thank God that I have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to win the world through political, God, you don't have to win the world through political power. We can do this thing through sacrificially loving. Thank you, God, that we have not just a book to follow, we have a God to follow. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, 
you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.